It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, so while we are waiting on uh, Ross Tucker to join us, this is a good time to let our fans out there know, hey, man, go subscribe to the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show if you have not done so already. If you are currently a subscriber to the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, then tell a friend, a family member, or an associate that might not be subscribed. Tell them, come over there, man. Hit that like button, follow us. Uh, hit the little bell so you can get the notifications of everything we got going on, like the latest Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show episode, like Behind the Glass podcast, yep. like this fall, the Cleveland Browns postgame shows. Yep. Uh, make sure that you uh, sign up for overtime as well. We got a pretty special overtime for you today. And also, our PCC poll questions is on our community tab, community tab today. Sorry. We got two different questions. The first one. Andrew Barry believes the Browns have a superstar oh. running back, Nick Chubb. Is Nick Chubb the exception to the new rule of not paying running backs? Nope. The second question. <laughs> Jason, chill out, man. Uh, the second question is what we already talked about. NBA Insider uh, says he sees no chance that Donovan Mitchell will sign a long-term extension with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Do you agree? So get over there and vote on those. We'll give you the results, the PCC Air Force results at the end of the show. So make sure you are looking out for that. So, again, as we wait for uh, Ross, Ross Tucker to get here, he's not in yet, um, we could talk some football. Something that I had in the rundown that I took out, I saw Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoya's uh, Impressive pronunciation. press conference. You, you nailed that to a T, even with the little emphasis on the second word. I appreciate that. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, I've been working on that. If I got to <laughs> say, I, I was hoping that, you know, I have to say his name for many seasons to come. So, But he said that he feels free and feels like he can breathe in a Jim Schwartz new scheme. And, you know, me and you talked about it, Mike. It seems like every time we hear a player speak about the difference between last year and this year, it's that little nugget that seems like a shot at Joe Woods. So is this like Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa's, like, breakout season? G? Um, breakout is, is, is extreme. Like, breakout means, like, to me, breakout means, like, you're a, you're a pro bowler, right? Like, breakout means, like, you, you got a chance to make the pro bowl. Um, I think he'll play better this year. It all depends on, I think he needs a specific, special set of things that he can do. I've always said that they had to create a position for him because I think he struggles a little bit too, too much in the run game. <laughs> but I will say this, um, he, will, he, will, he will definitely get um, the benefit of having a wide nine and guys up front. So um, I think, I don't know if it's breakout, but I, I think he'll play better than, than last year. I know we set that up, Earl, but it sounds like we have our guest, which means Ross Tucker, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You can check him out on social media, at Ross Tucker NFL is now joining us here. He's calling games for CBS this year. Ross, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining us here on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Before we hop into our topics today, Ross, I did want to ask you about something I was told is literally the best present ever, and that's myfrontpagestory.com. Give us a little background on... Uh, how we can hook up our good friends with 
like like you said no i appreciate you. by the way your set looks awesome i'm like jealous of you guys <laughs> you're talking about wide nine like you guys have it figured out it's awesome jim schwartz he was in philly for a few years but no my uh my buddy started uh this business it's called myfrontpagestory.com it's honestly amazing like you talk to one of their writers for 10 minutes about your wife for her birthday or anniversary or maybe even valentine's day mother's day maybe it's for your mom i don't know they write the most unbelievable story like it looks like it's on the cover of the cleveland plain dealer with pictures of her and you or her and the kids i've just seen it so many times now when when they open it up and they see the quotes like i just never thank her enough for all the little things she's done for me over the years they, they cry every time so <laughs> highly encourage you and your audience to check out myfrontpagestory.com because none of us really know what to get our wives or moms for like birthdays or mother's day or valentine's day so myfrontpagestory.com appreciate that awesome ross we'll get into the the browns and the rest of the nfl in a sec but i, I do have a question i'm a jersey guy and I know you played college football at Princeton. You started at defensive line and then as a sophomore transitioned to offensive line that ended up playing in the NFL as an offensive lineman. A, why Princeton? And then B, how did you end up going from a defensive lineman to an offensive lineman? And not just that, but defensive lineman to an All-American offensive lineman with the Tigers. All right, so you guys are going to like the second story. The, the story of why I went to Princeton is because I was very much a late bloomer. I was like 6'4", 210 as wow. a junior in high school, which is like a quarterback height and weight, <laughs> playing offensive tackle, defensive end. And I, was, I wasn't big enough to get recruited by the big boys on offense and not athletic enough on defense. So I had scholarships to like William & Mary in Delaware, but I thought, gosh, if I can go to Princeton or Harvard because of football, like, are you kidding me? Nobody from my family had ever done anything like that. So... Um, I, those are the only two schools I applied to football, helped me get into both of them, which was amazing. Ended up going to Princeton, but the better story is how I got moved to, to offensive line. So as a freshman, I actually started a couple of games at DN. There was an injury. So I started a couple of games at DN, probably like two fifty-five. um, season ends. I go back to my hometown, Reading, Pennsylvania. It's an hour West of Philly. It's probably like for you guys, it's probably like, think of like Akron, okay. Youngstown, you know, like that type of city, right? So um, I go back there, dude, I'm telling you, we got a keg of Yingling every night. <laughs> and I would go to the diner at 2 a.m. And I would get a ham and cheese omelet, a stack of pancakes, a chocolate milkshake, <laughs> and a side of Scrapple oh. at 2 a.m. every night after we kicked the keg. <laughs> I came back to Princeton after Christmas break. I was 284. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Wow. I gained almost 30 pounds during You're Christmas break, and the coaches were like, what did you do? I was like, had an amazing time? You know, like, I don't know. Like and, so, and so what they said to me is they're like, listen, You'll start either way, uh, D-line, probably D-tackle at that point, or O-line. But if you play offensive line, like, you could really – because, you know, I can move a little bit. So, you could really do something special or be something special. So, um, I did it. I didn't really want to because I liked hearing my name called when I made a tackle or whatever. But <laughs> I switched to offensive line, and thank God, because I wouldn't have had a prayer in heck 
of playing in the NFL on the defensive line. So um, I can attribute my NFL career to Yingling, Scrapple, and a diner. <laughs> I love that. I, I honestly, I looked up a lot. I couldn't figure out why you made that change. That's even better than I could have imagined anywhere. So thank what, you. what is Scrapple? You don't want to know. You don't want to know. So Scrapple is like an Eastern PA thing. Uh, it gets into Jersey a little bit. It's delicious. Um, but when they process a pig, oh no! You know they process every aspect of it right for oh, ham, no. for um, sausage. You know whatever. The Scrapple is whatever's left over. Oh dear God! Yeah. So it's like um, ear. Oh God. Um, nose. <laughs> like I'm it's, sorry I asked. It, it, it's <laughs> whatever's <laughs> left over. Yeah. And guess what? I don't care because it's delicious. <laughs> um, but it's not really it's not really what you're supposed to eat. But Eastern <laughs> PA, it's like uh, it does taste good. It, it, it's like is it better after. or worse than a hot dog, health wise and taste wise? Because it kind of sounds like a hot dog. Okay. Way worse than a hot dog health-wise <laughs> and definitely tastes much better than a hot dog. Wow. It has like a really cool flavor to it. It's super soft on the inside, but like crisp on the outside. You got to try it, man. You got to try it. But I'll second see, like, on this one. When you're little, they don't tell you what it is because they know you won't eat it if you know what it is. And then by the time you know what it is, you're like, I don't care. I've been eating this since I was five. It's delicious. Let's do it. Ross, my doctor just called me and he said, you know, black people ain't allowed eating that. I got you. I'm already got you on high blood pressure. You better stop playing around. Take one now just for listening to that. But it does. It's something I I would partake in, but I I don't know if I can find it here. Uh, Let me ask you this question about uh, the Browns. To me, I don't know. I was sitting there looking around and I said, man, the Browns look like they can have a season where they just came come out like game busters and they surprise a lot of people because they do have talent or they can come out and still have a lot of talent and lose the first three games and people have a mutiny and we all go crazy. I, I think it's feast or famine. Is there any in between in, in your um, opinion about where the Browns could be? I think it's either a great season or a disappointing one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. No, I agree with you. And I would put the Browns into a, a similar category as the Jets this year. Which is, it's either playoffs and everybody gets contract extensions, everybody's happy, or it's disappointment and they probably clean house, right? I mean, that that's, that's the reality of it, which by the way, is why the Jets made the trade they made. They gave up a lot for potentially only one year of Aaron Rodgers, but guess what? If they make the playoffs this year and their GM Joe Douglas and their head coach, 
Robert Sala get contract extensions. Who cares about next year's first round pick? We're rich. We just got $20, $30 million contract extensions. And if we get fired, then we really don't care about next year's first round pick. We don't even work for the team anymore. I think there's some similarities there. I just don't envision. And by the way, I think Andrew Barry's really good at his job. I think Stefanski's good. I mean, Stefanski won a road playoff game with Baker Mayfield as his quarterback. I think that's pretty impressive. But back-to-back losing seasons, they make the big move for Deshaun Watson. They got to make it work this year with Deshaun Watson. I, I, I don't envision Haslam having the patience to stick with these guys for another year if it doesn't work out with Watson because then he's two years in with, what, three years left, and he's going to probably bring somebody else in that can maximize the return on investment they get for the draft picks and money they gave up to get Deshaun. Kind of along those lines, Ross, I'm, I've been known, like I'm in the guy in town who carries Kevin's water, apparently. Like I'm a huge Stefanski believer. I think he's great. Having said that, I look at the schedule and think, oh, God, this is setting up for a bye week firing because you've got four really hard games in an early bye week. And you've got, well, I mean, uh, uh, I just had it here. The three division games, they're home against Cincinnati at Pittsburgh, home to Tennessee, home to Baltimore, and then the bye week. So at what point, am I right or am I crazy that like, because if you're going to salvage the season, if this, if this goes off the rails early, then you got to make a move early in order to salvage the season before the whole thing unravels on you. Am I crazy in thinking like this whole thing could get blown out at the bye week or is week five too early to panic on something like that? And I know this is sort of a doom and gloom thing, but I'm with you. Like this is a make or break year for the entire organization. Yeah, no, I think that's probably a little too early. Okay. I I think if anything, the early bye week might help Stefanski. If it was week seven, week eight, then you might have more of a point. But with it being week five and the schedule being what it is, I'd be surprised if Haslam did that. I mean, who would he go with then? Bubba Ventrone or Schwartz. Jim Schwartz. Schwartz? Like, who would he even put in as the interim head coach? How does that help them? And I tend to agree with you about Stefanski, by the way. I mean, you know, he gets to the playoffs and wins a, play, a road playoff game with Baker. Then the next year, I mean, I don't even remember what happened. I, I called a game the next year when they played the Raiders on like a Tuesday or something, was it like Nick Mullins was the quarterback? Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. That was the, for COVID. the Browns. Yeah. By the way, the- I, I had, um, I had done the Eagles preseason that year and Nick Mullins was terrible and he got cut by them. I mean, he was so bad. He got cut by the Eagles in the preseason. He's starting a game with like a playoff berth on the line in December. I don't know. I guess it's, it speaks somewhat well of Stefanski that even had him in that position. And then last year, I thought he got Jacoby Brissett to play the best football of his career. Mm -hmm. Uh, Watson wasn't ready when he came in, and the defense was a disaster. But I think Stefanski's a a darn good coach. I'm not carrying his water. If they don't make the playoffs this year, he's probably gone. Yep. Uh, But I tend to agree with you. I did coach rankings, and I think I had Kevin like 24 and that was like my big takeaway from the rankings was like, wow, there's a lot of good coaches. Cause I, I think he's a good coach. Yeah. I think I had Salah 25. Salah probably makes the playoffs this year. You know, I, I think, I think, I mean, I had McDermott from the bills, 22 McCarthy from the Cowboys, 21. There's a lot more good coaches out there than you realize. 
you know, uh, Ross, we, we, we were going to talk about this later on in the show, but um, given the climate of the running back position, um, you see a lot of really good backs or at least guys that used to um, be really back, be good backs, Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin Cook, uh, Josh Jacobs, a lot of people not getting big contracts. A guy here, Nick Chubb, was, I think, one of the last guys to get a, a, a solid extension. Um, and, and you hear, you know, Andrew Barry talk about him, him being a superstar. And the question we're asking is, you know, we're asking on the show was whether or not Nick Chubb is the exception to the rule. Are there any exceptions to the rule um, for any running backs? Or is this just a situation where it's just it's just part of the business now where you're not going to pay a running back moving forward? Or do you see that, you know, certain people are a little different based on what they give you on the field, off the field, and in terms of what they mean to the organization? Well, listen, the Browns gave him a three-year extension, right? I think they're pretty happy with that so far. I mean, it's not like a five- or six-year deal. It wasn't really crazy money at $12 million a year. And to have him locked up, you know, through 2024, I think they're pretty happy with that. I mean, the next year, the next couple of years, they're paying him about $11 million a year. I think they are fine with that. You know, I had J.C. Treader the NFLPA president, former Brown center on my show, the Ross Tucker podcast recently. And we were laughing about this idea that running backs don't matter or don't make a difference. There's no way people that say that have watched a Browns game the last couple of years. You, you cannot watch a Browns game and tell me that Nick Chubb doesn't matter. You can't watch a Tennessee Titans game and tell me Derrick Henry doesn't make a difference in the outcome of games. And by the way, Speaking of coaches, everybody loves Kyle Shanahan. Everybody loves Sean McVay. Both those guys tried to trade for McCaffrey. Both of them. You know, the Niners ultimately got it done, but he's the highest paid running back in the league, and they both gave up draft picks for the right to take on that contract, which I think says a lot about McCaffrey and at least how those guys, really good football minds, feel about the running back position I think some of these teams regret the deals they gave, right? The Cowboys with Zeke. The problem is running backs get hurt and running backs can fall off a cliff, right? We know that, which is why shorter deals are better. It's why the Giants are trying to go year to year with Saquon with the franchise tag, and now he signed this new deal. I would just say this. Running backs, I'll tell you what they should do. Um, after their third year, once they're eligible, I think they should hold in during training camp their fourth year. Hold in. Don't give up any fine money. You know, don't let them be able to take 50 grand away a day. Report to training camp. You know, um, you're never, you guys know, you're never 100%. Something's bothering you. Say it's bothering you too much to be able to practice. Because here's the thing. The Giants don't want to play games without Saquon Barkley. That's why they did this revised deal with him today. I don't. I wouldn't have signed it because I hate training camp. So to skip 45 days of training camp would be amazing. <laughs> Say all Saquon had to do was sign the Friday before the first game, and he gets all 10.1 million. And then, by the way, then it's up to the Giants whether or not they play him in that first game. They probably don't. He skipped the. He missed the whole week of practice, and they don't want him to get hurt. So I would have waited longer and said to the Giants, I'm not showing up till the Friday before the first game unless you give me $12 million 
or unless you agree not to tag me again. I thought Saquon could have and should have driven a harder bargain. Ross, I know you played offensive line at the highest level. The Browns left tackle Jed Wills. They picked up his fifth-year option this offseason. He's obviously a guy we've talked about a lot here. Some people aren't the highest on him. Some people think he's just okay, and some people think that the ceiling for him is still there. Where, where do you fall on the Jed Wills discussion, and can he be the Browns' left tackle of the future that they need him to be considering how much they're paying Deshaun Watson? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough position. Um, there's no question I guess I thought he would improve more than he has. It's probably the best way to describe it. And I don't know if he's been banged up or whatever. You know, I think he's a good player. I, I thought he had a chance to have a higher ceiling than what he's shown so far. I'm curious to see how he plays this year because um, he's an integral part. I love their guards, Batonio and Teller. Um, I really like the way Conklin plays in the run game. Um, at times, I feel like, you know, Jedrick Wills has kind of been a disappointment in some games. But he's still probably top half of the league at left tackle and certainly top 20. And what you really can't have is one of the bottom 10 guys. So um, that's why they picked up the option. That's why, you know, they'll likely extend him because good enough is better than not good enough at that position. And that is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, former eater of Scrapple, to put on 30 pounds to transition from the D-line. I got a question for Oh, us. wait. Our producer Earl has one question. Sorry, Ross. Ross, what's up, man? I'm a huge fan of yours. I, I just got Thank a question. Thank you, Earl. I love, I love people that are huge fans of me. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, any chance you can stop by our studio whenever you're in Cleveland for a Browns game? Uh, yeah, possibly. I don't know if I'm doing any this year. You guys actually play – in the preseason at Philly, I'll be calling that game. Oh, wow. So, by the way, shout out, because uh, I think that game's a Thursday night, and it'll be on NFL Network. So, it's if you're not on in the Cleveland, menu. if you're someone that watches this show, but you're not in Cleveland area, you'll be able to see me call that Eagles-Browns game, and I'll barely say anything about the Browns, because I get paid by the Eagles. <laughs> but but they have uh, they have a couple of joint practices that week. I'm going to check out between the Browns and the Eagles. That'll be fun. Is Scrapple on the me on the meal plan while you're in Philly? Definitely not. No, they would not let those guys eat that. Although I say this all the time, these guys have no idea, man. The Eagles like uh, cafeteria is so good. I'll tell you right now, I would play for less than the minimum. I'll take half the minimum as long as I get to have all three meals at the Eagles cafeteria every day. That's awesome. Awesome. Thanks That's again, awesome. Ross. During those joint practices, if you ever want to come back, open invite. You are more than welcome. Love talking to you. And check him out at Ross Tucker NFL and check him out on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Ross, thanks again. Appreciate you. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Anytime. Earl, what's next? One second. Let me say bye to Ross. My life will never be the same now that I know what Scrapple is. <laughs> Yeah, Scrapple is. It's uh, a Jersey delicacy. I thought that was a great That's question, Jason, because uh, I was curious. As much as I've been in Jersey, how did I not know about? So it's more like Philly, Western Pennsylvania-ish. Okay. Have you heard of pork roll in Jersey? I was just going to ask you, are you Taylor I'm, Ham or pork roll? I'll pork roll till I die, and if you say Taylor Ham, I'll fight you right now. <laughs> I'll throw fisticuffs. There's very few things I'll throw fisticuffs over, but, but pork roll pork the Taylor roll Ham. Did you have it? I No, but we had this conversation. It's so good. With my wife's cousin, and I thought he said it was Taylor Ham country no. down there, or is it pork roll? Uh, Taylor Ham country down there, yeah. 
you said it's like Taylor ham and cheese, I think, or something like that. Is this, Pork, this like and cheese is, is what it is, yeah. That's What's funny. up, bro? All right, so as we move forward, man, we talked about this a lot in uh, a lot of the pre-show discussions. Jimmy, has, Jimmy and D Haslam spoke to the media yesterday. Uh, a lot of insightful things. It was three things that really stood out to me. We're going to try to talk about those for a little bit. But the very first one being, uh, which me and Jason talked about, I paid attention to the cold words, you know. I don't think a renovation is coming. I think the Browns want a brand new stadium. They would love to be on the lakefront. One thing he did for sure is, is the Cleveland Browns will always remain in Northeast Ohio, but that doesn't necessarily mean downtown Cleveland. Thoughts? Yeah, we disagree on this, at least in, in some premise, but I want Jason to start because Jason and Earl both picked up on something that I don't think everyone else did listening to that press conference yesterday. So. What I picked up on is they got me again, and they won't get me a third time. I was talk I was joking to you guys before the show. There's our, our one piece of Jimmy walking through the owners' <laughs> meetings. Let's, let's all stare and admire Jimmy walking through the owners' meetings last year in Florida. Uh, you know, it was funny because coming out of Baker's last season in Cleveland, I thought there's no way they can, bring, they can run this back with Baker. They have got to upgrade the position. I don't know what they're going to do. They can't do this again. Like, Baker broke the locker room. This can't happen. And I was talking to people at the Browns and was convinced by the end of the combine, oh, my God, they're really going to do this. They're really going to run it back with Baker. I believe them. And then two weeks later, they traded for Deshaun Watson. I thought, God, you got me. You're never going to get me again. And I went in the stadium deal thinking they can't rehab this thing. They have, they're going to build a new stadium. You have to build a new stadium. It's the only like logical solution here to this whole thing. And then we go to the owners meetings in, in Arizona this year. And I sit with Jimmy and Demi and a number of other reporters. And I walk away writing the story going, they got me with Baker. I wonder if they're getting me again, because I tend to believe that they actually really truly want to try and figure out how to renovate this thing. And they got me again because they're not going to renovate. They're going to go build a new stadium, which is what I've been saying for four or five years. Go down to 480 and 77, build whatever you want. You can build a palace down there, mixed use retail and shopping and, and apartment living, condos, whatever, everything else, and just print the money that rolls in on it. And I don't have the exact quote. Earl, you got the quote of of what he said, of, of what they said about the stadium thing, about how they want to keep it there, but they are assuring, like, I don't have the exact quote. Let me get that quote? for you. So they, they basically, Jimmy basically said what we alluded to earlier. They're going to try and renovate it. But one thing's for certain, they're not leaving Cleveland. It really felt like, a, you know, look over here, but over here is really what we're trying to do. And I just think it makes too much sense. I don't mind, and this is where Mike and I disagree. Mike's point, I think you'll hear him say he wants the stadium to be downtown. He thinks it has to have that vibrant feel of keeping it downtown. I agree with that for football and basketball. I'm sorry, for baseball and basketball. But for football, it's eight days a year, you know, two home games or two preseason games maybe, and maybe that's going to even get cut down and go away. It's only a handful of dates. I, it doesn't really matter to me if it's if it's downtown or if it's somewhere else. I just think for what the the tax breaks that they can get and everything else that cities can give them, I just think it makes more sense. That place where they're at, that plot of land where they're at, is awful. The stadium is awful. Everything about it is awful. I think it makes much more sense to be in the suburbs where there's more space and you can build exactly what you want. You know, it just seems like they're just I, in Cleveland, Ohio. It just seems like um, there's in Ohio general period. Like, wh when are you going to be innovators? When are you going to be on the cutting edge of something? When are you guys going to make decisions where 
where you can you can be looked at as a, a industry leader. It don't make sense that these other stadiums, like the Bengals, right? The Bengals got a new stadium after us and is about to get another stadium. How is it possible that that's, that's you know, here? And then my thing is, I, I don't care where they put it. If they want to put it downtown, great. But make it a state-of-the-art facility. Make it the best you can make it. Don't slap. You got an opportunity now. You have a runway. You have the money. Jimmy Haslam, do whatever you need to do. We pull the strings. You're richer than I don't know how many other owners. You got the bag. You spent 200 and some odd million dollars on the, on the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, look. All we care about here in Cleveland is this do right by our franchise. You we started here. The Browns are the flagship. You get, don't get it twisted. We like the Bucks and what they're going to do is do. But when Giannis is finished, they're out of here. Let's be clear about that. There's a ticking time bomb on that too. I want to see a, a retractable stadium. I want to see something where you could draw some concerts there, Nowadays live entertainment is a, is a thing to be. You got to get into the live entertainment. Where's the rodeos? Where's the derbies? Where's where's the rock concerts? It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. How do you not have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concert series with every great great rocker here? They just don't market it right. Give me a dome. You got the four hundred million or whatever this is going to cost, and preferably that's just for the roof. That's just for the roof. But preferably, I would like to see it downtown too. I always wanted to have like a, a AFC championship game on on the North Shore. I would love to see that. But if you ain't if you can't get it down there because the politicians ain't gonna work with you and they got not gonna move the airport. They go put it somewhere else, but it needs to be a brand new facility. Yeah, I think if we're gonna rank these at least in my opinion, if you're gonna rank these in terms of options to me dead last not even close massive gap between two and three is renovating what they currently have. Oh, yeah, to that's, me, that's not even an option. Yeah, I don't care what they say. That's not an option. To me, it does not make sense to have to close down a facility, play somewhere else for a year to make upgrades to something that's not structurally tacked and sound and top of the top notch to begin with. Second would be to what Jason said: go out to Independence, build a new stadium out there. I'm not a Clevelander through and through. I moved here last year. You guys all know that. I've lived downtown since I've been here. To me, there's something special about having the creme de la creme the events of the year being yep. in downtown. And I know that there's some logistical issues land-wise. You have to build up the entire lakefront. But the one thing I don't think Cleveland has to the level that other cities I've lived in have is that must-go downtown destination, which is what I think the lakefront could be. Mm -hmm. And I look at – and I'll, I'll use Dallas as an example. And I fully understand that Jerry World's not in Dallas. It's in Arlington. It's half an hour outside of the city. They have built an entire mini-city around the stadium. These new stadiums, call them what you want, they're all you-know-what measuring contests for the owner. It's how much money can you put in and why is mine better than yours. Look at the new one Buffalo's proposing. Look at what Minnesota just built. Vegas. Jerry, Vegas. Jerry's World was 10 years ago. It opened in 2011. That's crazy. 12 years ago. Think how far we've come since then, and that was the Taj Mahal of athletic stadiums when it opened less than 15 years ago. Jimmy Haslam has endless pockets. I don't know what you'd have to pay to buy out the airport. But if you could build the Cleveland version of Jerry's World, build up storefronts, restaurants, hotels, make that lakefront property into a must-be destination on top of having the premier football stadium in football, I think that would just elevate Cleveland as a city from where I already think it's awesome to a must-go destination for not just football fans but just people in general who want a secondary observation, secondary place to go. 
What's up, bro? Yo, that was something that D Haslam alluded to, and she like I, I watched the press conference, and she put emphasis on that. You know, she talked about that that bridge that was proposed, mm -hmm. that land bridge, and she said that it was necessary for that to get done because she believed that the Cleveland lakefront needed to be brought to life. It does. And when you look at the major cities of the major cities that have a great lake, you know, Cleveland is probably at the bottom as far as the appeal of it all. You know, and I'm just thinking of somebody who stays on the east side, who travels that 90 east and west and that route too. Like, man, that's that's it's a lot of money that the city was going to have to forfeit to, you know, building the stadium. And I don't really, I mean, building a land bridge. And I really don't know the politics about all of that. But I guess when I heard the, the press conference, I'm with you. My number one option would to be brand a build new stadium downtown. But I think hearing him use, you know, we are always being Northeast Ohio, it swung me to where Jason is uh, not having that expectation. That they could definitely move that. And, and, I, and I get that. I'm just saying, to me, I think the best option is to stay down. I think there's something special about Cleveland having all three stadiums within a one-mile radius of each other. That yeah. at any given night on any sporting event, on a Sunday, for example, and I know the season has to all kind of come together, but you could have a Guardians game, a Cavs game, and a Browns game going on, and you could have over 100, close to 200,000 fans within a mile radius of each other for three different games. Like, that is unique to Cleveland, and I don't want to give that up. Yeah, the energy last year, I think the Browns had a home game, the Guardians had a playoff game yeah. on the same day. That was, that was fun. That was, that was cool. Yeah, it was great. But this, here's where it gets kind of complicated. I mean, we've been talking about renovating the lakefront for 50 years in the city, 60 years. Ain't nothing happened. Nothing. And, like, we talk about, I mean, Jimmy and Dee have been disastrous as owners. They've been disastrous. It's been 10 years of failure as, since they've owned the Browns. Now, they can make a tremendous impact on the city if they do figure this out and connect the waterfront to downtown. If they figure out how to do that, it would absolve them a lot of their failures as owners. But here's where, like, it kind of gets complicated. If they pull out and they go somewhere else, what is their incentive then to continue, like, this lakefront redevelopment project? None. None. So there's, there's where this becomes bigger than football, and this is where leverage and politics come into play of give us what we want yeah. in terms of finances, and we'll stay there, but don't give us exactly what we want, and we're going to leave. And now you're going to be stuck with – a lakefront that is going to be undeveloped as it has been for the last 50, 60 years. Without, so, a, without a magnet for exactly. people to come down there. Without like, the one attraction. Well, I mean, you got the Rock Hall and the Science Center, and we talked about it before the show. I've talked to people who have built these stadiums, who, who were part of the Gateway Project, who hate the location and hate the structure of Brown Stadium because they said you have these beautiful architectural pieces of the Rock Hall, of the Science Center, and they're just – it could be this beautiful-looking – thing and then you've got this mausoleum that sits vacant 350 days a year that makes everything else look like tinker toys so that this is i mean we don't even have enough time we spent this we could do weeks of worth of show on this i'm just saying politics always plays into this leverage yeah. always plays into this and the haslams have talked about trying to be at the the driving force behind redeveloping the lakefront if they pull out all that goes away it's going to be interesting to see how this and, goes and politically everybody wants to it's very unpopular if you are running for office to say, I'm going to give all these tax breaks and all this, this money to a guy that's a billionaire. Because yeah. your constituents and your party is going to say, 
Why are we giving this guy tax breaks? Why are we paying for half of it or three quarters of it when he has the money, obviously? So why don't why does he partner with us and, and, and reinvest with us as a city? So it's hard for somebody to get behind that. And what happens is you just put a bunch of proposals out. You say we need to redevelop, but it, it comes down to where's the money come from? Well, the tax abatements I was talking about is if you go to independence, right? Goes, and and people, cities do that with well, well, Fortune 500 companies in, all oh, the trust time. Trust me, independence will do that in a heartbeat. Yeah. They're like, Sh- come Williams, on down here. Sherman Williams got the same similar treatment. Absolutely. To build yeah. and, and, and I mean, I, I guess to put a bow on it, I would say like, we need more of that. And I've had business leaders tell me that I've had GMs of teams in the city tell me that we need like Sherwin Williams moving their headquarters here was huge. We need more of that. We yeah. need more business to come here to really, if we're really going to talk about turning the city financially, if we're really going to talk about turning the waterfront, it starts with new business, bringing new business back into downtown. And, you know, I mean, Dan Gilbert's brought a lot of his company here. Uh, Jimmy joked with me at the owners meetings, he wasn't moving pilots headquarters from Nashville, but you know, maybe there's more opportunity for them. The more business that you can bring to Cleveland, the more you can start having some of these other conversations. Another thing that Jimmy and D said in their media availability yesterday, and we'll start with UG here because you kind of brought it up with Ross. Jimmy said it was not a make or break year for Kevin Stefanski. He wasn't going all in. Was thinking the exact term. He wouldn't so go basically, all in. the question was: is it, is it a now or never season for the Browns? And he erred on the side of caution. You know, he said that was a dangerous line to toe because of how competitive the NFL is and the AFC North. Um, but he did say he was excited about this season. So I guess my impact question to you all is, do you believe him? Do you believe that this is not a now or never year for the Cleveland Browns? No. Can I start? Go ahead. I do not believe any of the words that came out of Jimmy Haslam's mouth when it came to that particular answer yesterday. Now, two things with all these. Sometimes they have to say the right thing. If he had said, yeah, jobs are on the line, and if we don't make the playoffs, everyone's fired. There's already a tremendous amount of pressure on the Browns this year. We've all talked about it. Can you imagine the added level of intensity and scrutiny and pressure that came into every decision Kevin Stefanski, Jim Schwartz, Bubba Ventrone, Deshaun Watson, etc., would make from the day, from the minute he said that to whenever the end of the season came? It would be insurmountable, in my opinion, and unfair of Jimmy Haslam to put that on Stefanski before the year. So, no, I don't believe him at all. I do think it's a make-or-break year. It's now or never for this coaching staff, as Ross Tucker alluded to. Watson would still have three years left on his contract. He'd have time to go and go and pick a different coach to try and maximize the return on the Watson investment. But, yeah, I didn't believe – I believe some of the stuff he did say on other topics, on that particular question when he said, eh, it's not really a now or never, it's not a make or break. I didn't buy it for one second, especially when he followed it up with saying, this is probably the best roster I've ever put together in Cleveland. You know, th- those two can't be opposite of each other. If it's the best roster, then it is a make or break year for coaching staff and a lot of the players on this team. G. Um, look, man, if I'm the Duke of knee jerk, he's a superintendent in knee jerk. He gets it like his, <laughs> his stuff will switch over dinner. Like Jimmy has some, like change the jerseys. Change, we, Jimmy, we can't do that for three. I said, change them. I don't like them. I, I don't like peas. And like, it's just not going to work like that. <laughs> the thing is, it, he knows good and well. And, and I always, always point to this line of demarcation right here. When the Bengals was drafting right along with you and the Bengals got the third pick overall, right? I think it was a third pick overall. They were terrible. They won like two games. 
And then they went to the Super Bowl the next year. All best is off. I was like, you know what, damn it. They, they sold us on this three to five year plan every three to five years. And I the Bengals just went to the Super Bowl with a quarterback with no old line. He just tore his ACL too, off an ACL injury. And I'm like, so we got to keep resetting this. And they no. at that point, I think it showed people. Why is it every single year that other teams are having resurgence like the Dolphins or or these other places and Jimmy Haslam looked at his squad and was like, you know, what? you're right. You're right. Uh, this is it. This is all we got going. Now, God forbid, I hope that, that Stefanski is here because that means they were successful. They won some games. But I, I just want people to know what we're looking at if it does not work. It's going to be some changes. Like Ross said, everybody's going to get blown out. So I I, I got to learn to like Stefanski because I do not want to go through that no more. I don't. I don't. And Jimmy Haslam knows good and well that he'll be out of here uh, if they don't if they don't make the playoffs this year. It is what it is. Jason? The Haslam's desperately want this to work. Desperately want this to work. They feel like they finally got it right. Mm-hmm. Like they finally got a head coach, a GM, a Paul D. Podesta, who all see it the same way. And that's never happened before in 10 years of ownership. They've always had this guy pulling this way and this guy pulling this way. And for the first time, everybody's pulling on the rope in the same direction. They desperately want this to work. They, 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 they don't want to keep firing people. I've said it before. They gave Hugh Jackson an extension after 1-15, and 15, or was it after the winless seat? They gave Hugh an extension. That's great. Regardless of whether it came. Yeah, they gave I can't Hugh remember the year. They gave him an extension. That's how badly that they want this to stability and, and to make this work. But having said that, of course there is pressure on this year to get it right. Of course. We've talked about, like, listen, you don't want to talk about the collateral damage. You don't want to think about miles and and it could be nick chubb going away for other reasons if this doesn't work yeah yeah like there is so much at stake this year and the browns feel it because some of the little nuanced stuff that they've done behind the scenes that fans don't see the way that they've sort of opened up a little bit more to the media and the way that they've let the media in this offseason they've let them in a little bit more on the process and they're thinking behind things both front office and coaching staff this whole trip to Greenbrier this yeah, week that's crazy. is uh, it's basically day camp and let's all get along and kumbaya shit and all that, like trying to get these guys to fight together and be a team because of what is at stake. They all know it. Yes, this is a make or break year. I just got done telling. I still don't think, I still think it could be a fi- oh, bye week firing because yep, there's so much pressure on this team. To, if you wait until week eight or week nine, the season's over. What are you saving? If you do it early, you still have a chance later on. That's why I think, God, I hope it, I hope I'm wrong, but this is setting up like a bye week firing with all these division games early because there's enough of a season to salvage if it's not going well. That's your barometer, Jason. Too, we think about it. If you if you go to that season and you lose to the Bengals, the Steelers, and the Ravens, if you're one and three at the bye, what else do you need to know? I mean, that's bad. If you're if you get to the bye and your only win is over the Titans, which by the way is no gimme. No. That is not a gimme on the schedule. No, no. It, it, I mean, I, I just look at that and go, man, this is setting up to be really, really bad. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope they're, I hope they're five and four and zero oh at the bye. I hope they're three and one, and and we don't have to have this conversation, because they Haslam's truly don't. They want this to work. They feel like they finally got it right. Everybody in the organization looks at it the same way, sees it the same way. It doesn't mean they always agree on everything, but you don't have the GM throwing guys out of 
meetings, which is what was happening when John Dorsey was here. He was kicking D. Podesta's staff out of meetings. Like, you don't have that now. So, Dang, I, I, I hope it works. <laughs> I hope it works. Is there, is there, any, is there any world where you, got, where you guys see one or the other making it? Uh, so basically, do you, is there any world where Andrew Berry is still here, but Kevin Stefanski is not? Sure, I can see it. And 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 like I keep pointing out, and I've had people in the organization tell me it's it that doesn't matter anymore. But Kevin was here first. Yeah, he was. They picked the head that's, coach and then the GM. That's why I asked the question. So that to, tells me the priority was on the head coach. But yeah, I mean, if they're two and six or whatever, the coach is probably getting fired, and then maybe the GM decision is made after the season. I don't know what firing the GM does in the middle of the season. I don't know what good that is going to do. No. So maybe they're not, maybe it's not a long gap between when one goes and the other goes, but yeah, there's a scenario where one stays and one goes. I said it before with Kobe Altman, we we're talking about Donovan Mitchell. A GM's job is to put a roster together that puts you in the conversation. Yeah. Andrew Berry did his job yep. hiring the right coaches, bringing the right free agents, making the right trades. We hope the draft picks hit. But he did the, the right job and a phenomenal job, in my opinion, of assembling a roster that could be in the championship conversation. Those are the ingredients. Kevin Stefanski's the cook. Jason, you're not, you, don't, you don't cook very often, do you? I, I enjoy cooking, but I wouldn't say I do it all. Do you, do you cook a lot? Your wife cooks. Me and my wife, she used to be a chef. I don't do any of that. I don't if, do anything anymore. If you gave <laughs> an inexperienced chef and a Michelin star chef the same ingredients, you'd get two totally different results. Yep. Right. Kevin Stefanski is the chef in this situation. Andrew Berry is the collector of ingredients. He gave Stefanski all the ingredients to put together a five-star, knock-it-out-of-the-park, awesome dish. It comes on to can Kevin Stefanski make these pieces, make these ingredients work cohesively. And that's why I could see a situation where if the season doesn't go as planned, Andrew Berry could keep his job because he did, in my opinion, what a GM's job is supposed to do, and Stefanski to get the most out of them on the field, if that makes sense. You know so messed up? If Kevin Stefanski is fired, I actually think he'll go somewhere and be a good coordinator. I, I, think, I think he'll be a great good head coach. coach. Yeah. I think he'll go somewhere, and if he gets the right quarterback, you'll be like, it's almost, it seems like almost like the thing with the, the guys on Belichick's staff when he was here in the 90s, where you had all those guys, like, I mean, they had everybody. They had Kurt Ferentz. Uh, I think wasn't John Gruden here a, a little bit? No, where he was in uh, um, Green Bay. But I know obviously um, uh, Nick Saban I mean, was Saban, here. There guys. was a bunch of guys. Jim Schwartz was part of that 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 yeah. staff a little bit too. So they had a bunch of guys. I, I think he'd be he'd be great. There's a lot of coaches that need to fail first to then become good head coaches. I yeah. mean, you look at the, the track record of a lot of guys in the NFL that are successful today. Ben Belichick's the prime example. He had to learn what didn't work before he could learn what did work. And I'm not saying that's necessarily Stefanski's situation here, but there is a world where Stefanski, the season doesn't go as planned, he gets fired, gets a second chance in a year or two, or maybe even that same offseason. And then all of a sudden, something clicks for whatever reason, and we're, we're looking back like, why didn't it work here? And, yeah. and those questions, there's never a concrete answer to why it didn't work. But it doesn't mean he's not a good head coach if it doesn't work here. I think I think if if it doesn't work here, I think Kevin will get another opportunity sooner than later, like very quickly. And I think he'll be one way or another. He's going to be a good head coach in this league. And we've talked. Jay's talked about it. He's a good seed in bad soil. Yeah. And that very well could be just the explanation behind it. I hope it doesn't get to that. We'll I see. hope we this is the end of those conversations. But it's the reality where they're at.
All right, so this was the great talking point number two of this topic. But Jason, I I have this overconfidence that it won't get to that. I've said it on this show, I think last week, two weeks ago. You know, this is a great conversation, but it's not going to come down to that. I think that they have learned from their mistakes. I think that the first three years for him, Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, you know, they've learned a lot. There's been a lot of trial and error. I think they both have grown from their mistakes. I think the team and the organization overall has come a long way since Kevin Stefanski took over as head coach. And I think this is the year that it's all going to be put together. And I said it then, and I'll say it now. The Browns have the potential to go play in the AFC Championship this yeah. year. And when I look at the teams in the AFC, I don't believe that there are, quote, unquote, many teams that are better than the Browns. So speaking of the Browns, one of the things that was uh, – another thing that was interesting to me was uh, the Haslam's talked about Deshaun Watson's personal growth. They talked about him emerging as a leader of this team and that they were proud of the man that he was becoming and the athlete that he was becoming. So it, it raised the thought in my head. Two questions. One, is Deshaun Watson the undisputed leader of the Cleveland Browns now? And then two, is he a team captain this year? Who wants to start? I don't think he's the undisputed leader of the team um, because, you know, like when you're playing football, you know, I'll give you a quick story. We had uh, <laughs> Ryan Hawk, right? So it's A.J. Hawk's brother, right? He played at Miami. He threw for a bunch of yards, and he transferred to OU, right? So we like, oh, hell yeah. Name brand recognition. This is what we talking about. We about to go. We about to kill. We about to ball. And then we forgot um, we were still having option tendencies. We still didn't have no offensive line that could pass block. <laughs> and we was running fullback dive, and it just didn't work. He was on, on, on talent. He was the best quarterback, but in the system and what we was doing, it just wasn't, it didn't click like that. And so when, when you look at it, you got to have results first. Like, here, you can't be the, the undisputed leader until you get that fourth quarter comeback or when the defense – give up a, a, a late score and you say, no, dog, I got it, right? You need that thing. Remember when Baker Mayfield came in uh, against the Jets mm -hmm. and it was down a, a couple touchdowns or whatever. You know, he hits, he throws a pass to Jarvis Landry that was a laser. I don't even know how he still caught it. And then they got the Philly throwback special or whatever the case may be. When they came back and won that game, that's when he became the leader. Yeah. That right, that right there, it was undisputed. Deshaun Watson has to have a signature moment. When you get a signature moment that, that says, I am here, I have arrived, fans will get behind you, the team will get behind you, coaches will get behind you, and the media will actually get behind you too. Yes. Because they, the media is still at this point not even giving him the benefit of the doubt. But but when they see it, and be like, okay, all right, well, we, we gonna, we, now, now it's different. Can I give you a basketball example of that that's almost – dead on spot similar to the Sean Watson situation here. So my sophomore year going to my junior, we got this transfer. I played Emerson College D3. It's not the NFL I get at different sport. Came in midseason. His name was John Goldberg, 6'4", small forward. Do everything our coaches told us when he came in. He's going to be the best player on the team next year. What camp, he should be a D1 bat. He should not be here. I don't know how we got him to come here. He wants to come here. He can't say to sit out. And you see him in practice, and obviously he's awesome. But he's kind of quiet, kind of learning his role, trying to fit in. And – they wanted him to be the leader, but he couldn't be the leader because he wasn't playing. Right. We go into that offseason, and they're like, hey, he's our captain. And we still have never actually played with this guy. Mm -hmm. We've practiced with him, but we've never been on the court in a battle with him. And he's trying to give us these rah-rah speeches, and it's 
he's a nice guy. Like, nothing wrong with G. I still talk to him all the time, but you, you, we, we don't want bought in yet. And in the first scrimmage, and it's a scrimmage, tie game, they see these setup situations, and the way we did the scrimmage was controlled. So we had right. one offensive possession, tie game, 20 seconds left, one defense of both teams. He got a block on their possession, won us the game or sent it to overtime, and he drove and hit an and one with two seconds left to win. And then the locker room comes back, goes, essentially, in different words, goes, this is my effing team now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the moment. It was like, all right, that's G. He's a captain. Yeah, yeah. So we, From uh, there. We saw it. You, ju- you just need to – and with Watson, he was never going to be the, the bona fide certified leader last year with yeah. everything else going on, only playing six games. And I think he's on track to possibly become and should become the leader of the Browns once he gets on the field because you go back to his Clemson days, his leadership – was maybe his best quality coming out of college. He was a guy that everyone on Clemson would have gone to war for. In Houston, he was a guy that, from all accounts, his teammates would take a bullet for. And then he comes here, he just has to get that one moment to to show, hey, he's back to being who we thought he can be and and who he was. And I don't think it'll be a question. He will be the undisputed leader as long as he can show that he's the same player on the field. But I think it's a little premature to call him that at this moment. Uh, I disagree. He is the leader because who else is it? Who else is it? That's that's fair too. That's there fair is too. no one that's else. Very fair. It's him. It's not Miles. It ain't Amari Cooper. It ain't Nick Chubb. It's not, Deshaun. That, it came, that, and it's not a lineman. <laughs> like he, it ain't Batonio. It's it's Deshaun because there's nobody well, else. Do you, so I don't disagree with that at all. But do you think the rest of the team can buy in before there's that like yes. cinching moment? Yes, I think that they've already bought in. They loved this guy last year, like when he wasn't playing. These dudes loved him. Like, they took to him. I, I was saying earlier in the show, Baker broke the locker room, and they, these guys swarmed to Deshaun. Like, it was almost uncomfortable with everything else that was going on. The way that they just sucked to him and magnetized to him. Like, And, you, and you're in the locker room. And this stuff that me and G, mm-hmm. you know, we're not privy to that. You, you get actually firsthand look yeah, at Yeah, they, they, they really took to him right away. He is, he is the unquestioned leader of this team. I tend to think he... If they go, if they go the captain route of naming one guy, and a lot of times they do the rotating captain thing, I tend to think they'll continue to do that because it's a little early given everything else. Like it, there's going to be some, it'll be it'll be a thing if they make him a captain right away. But uh, he is the, whether he's got a C on his jersey or not. He is the leader of that franchise. You can love it. You can hate it. He is the leader of that as, franchise. As far as the captain thing is wearing a C, he definitely is about to get the captain. Like, I look at peak quarterbacks that were – Matt Ryan was the captain on the Colts. Yeah. Uh, Carson Wentz, they gave him a captain. I'm like, the quarterback literally has to be the captain. It just is what it is. Like, it's just – I mean, they control too much of the way you play. They got the ball every single play. Yeah. And it's weird to have a lineman be a captain because linemen don't – they don't affect the game in, in a way like that. Do you know what is cool about Deshaun Watson? You, you did you finish the quarterback documentary? No. Have you have you gotten Which through was? most of it? Oh yeah, Netflix? I gotta watch that. Yeah. So there's three guys, right? Of all the Marcus Mariota scenes, I think it was pretty evident to me that he might be a solid quarterback, but like as far as the leadership and he the, the looked, alpha dog mentality, I don't think that exists. He just looked like he was scared. There's though. not a bone. <laughs> and from my perception of watching that show, I've never met Marcus. It did not look to me that he had. That alpha dog, I'm a leader, rally around me. Confidence, like, yeah. Kirk Cousins was a leader by example. And I I got that from watching the show. Who who knew he was that tough? Mm -hmm. Dude played through a bunch of injuries. Was always there. Seemed like a great teammate. But he wasn't, in my opinion, when watching that, 
coming across as a guy who in the huddle and he was like, let's have a great game, guys. Team on three, one, two, three, team. He's like the PG Elmer's fudge cookie guy. Like, <laughs> he's, he's not, and then you see Mahomes, right? And Mahomes on and off the field had this magnetic charisma, mm-hmm. the way he interacted with his teammates, the way they – during the mic'd up clips in the games when he was like, hey, we're going doing this now. I do it, this. I do yeah. this. <laughs> and Deshaun Watson has all the characteristics and traits to be in the Mahomes category way more than he has to be in the Cousins or the Mariota category. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Baker may have had that for a quick split second his rookie year when he came in and that second year when they made the playoffs, but it never truly seemed like he was the unquestioned guy after the whole Miles Garrett helmet situation and some others. Deshaun Watson has all the traits and the characteristics to be in that Mahomes-level leader that I don't think the Browns had a quarterback since Otto Graham. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I just is think, that is that is that totally unfair? Yeah, what I'm I mean, they haven't had a quarterback. I mean, he's the most physically gifted quarterback they had, Ever. and he has more of a magnetic personality, star quality to him. Um, but you know, one of the things I keep going back, I just keep going back watching these '80s Browns, and, and Bernie was was getting taped together and thrown back out there. But one thing he did, they always talked about, was he knows what's going on. He's going to put you in position to play the game. And he led based on all the decisions that they gave him full, the full playbook. I'm encouraged more that they said Deshaun Watson said, I got access to the full playbook. Basically said, I'm going to be able to run my thing out here, do my thing. And Jason talked about that way back in January and February about how it was going to be. But he's going to have access to the whole offense. He got the keys. So one thing I always say is, yeah, you can try to blame Stefanski because he's the next up on the on the on the cut list because that's just what it way it works. But if Deshaun is not successful this year, he's going to have to take a large sum of that blame too because he's going to have the autonomy yeah. that I've never seen another quarterback have. And you want your leader to have that ability, yes, good or bad. Yeah. Is, is yep. that fair, Jason? Yeah, ownership. Yeah. You like people having skin in the game. You like people taking ownership of it, man. So, you know, he'll have that ability, and, and we'll see where it goes, but they're there. Or what's the internet saying today? All right, so every time we check out what the internet's saying, is brought to you by PCC Airfoil. Looking for a job with career advancement and great benefits, PCC Airfoil is a leading manufacturer in Northeast Ohio. All locations of PCC Airfoils in Eastlake, Minner, Whitcliffe, and Minerva are right now hiring for positions that start at $18 an hour. You'll get full benefit packages, paid time off, and a sign-up bonus. So go apply right now at precast.com slash careers to learn more. We asked the internet two questions. NBA insider Tim Bontemp says that he sees no chance that Donovan Mitchell will sign a long-term extension with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I asked the community tab uh, if they agree. 378 votes. 60% says yes, they agree with the NBA insider. 40% says no. 
So I'm surprised by that. That's mm. about what I would have guessed. I, I think when there's enough smoke, there's fire. And I think there's enough smoke around the Donovan Mitchell to anywhere rumors mm-hmm. that I think a lot of Cleveland fans are starting to believe that, hey, this could be a reality. Ex- at least accepting the fact that it could be a reality. Not that it will, but it could be. So that, that's about what I expected from the, the, the chat. Yeah, to me, uh, it, it was as well. You know, I'm a huge fan of Donovan Mitchell. I, I hope that the Cavaliers do what they have to do this year and this season that they have this year, you know, will kind of convince him to – you know, maybe he can have some long-term success here. The uh, second, Earl, Earl, real quick, if you don't have that long-term success, you know who you got in three years? Imani Bates. <laughs> oh, Lord. That's Big Money. Big we Mon- almost went a whole show without <laughs> saying his name. <laughs> you thought... You thought I was gonna let you up in 58 minutes. <laughs> hey Jason, that's 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 big money. We almost went a whole show without saying this. What's the what's the last question? No, we gotta get that in a row. Andrew Berry believes the Browns have a superstar at running back in Nick Chubb. Is Nick Chubb the exception to the rule of not paying running backs? I know Jason said nope. Uh, judging by these results, the this is a lot of can homers guess, like wait, me. Can I guess? Seventy-two. No, ninety-one percent. Seventy-two. 561 votes. The percentage is 85%. Yep. Yes, 85. 15%. No, <laughs> we love the YouTube community page, but yeah, shout out to Nick there, Chubb. Uh, you know so, what? I'm gonna just plead the fifth here. I'm gonna just we got one minute before the show ends, man. We got a very cool overtime for you all today. It's, it's a real segment. Uh, I went on FanDuel and I got 11 current props for the Cleveland Browns season, and I wanted to get McNuggets, G Bush and Jason Lloyd all on record on what they believe the 2023 Browns will look like. So if you are uh, a part of overtime, join us. If not, hurry up and sign up real quick. Hey, real quick, <laughs> Jim Harbaugh suspended four games. Yes, yeah, Steve. I heard Steve misleading, Becker's in fetal position crying right now. For misleading NCA line and misleading the NCA over. As long uh, as Steve is crying, I'm smiling. Over recruiting investigation, Harbaugh going to be suspended four games. There's rules in the NCAA now? Just don't lie to him. You can break all the rules you want. Just, just don't, don't lie to okay, him. Yeah, okay. That goes back. Ask Maurice Claret about that. We'll yeah, see you on overtime. I got paid for all that. Even overtime. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> I did, I'm... If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.